0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, I'm here with my new friend Jenna of Jenna Cole Photography. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today.
1: Yes, it's lovely to be here. Thank you.
0: And I'm, I'm already excited about our conversation because you have a certain kind of energy about you <laughs> that is just exuding already. So this is really, really good. We're here at the Photo Native Conference in Provo, Utah, just outside of Salt Lake City. We have this stunning, stunning scenery behind us, which I can't get enough of. I think it's fascinating. But we're getting to sit and talk about something that we haven't actually talked about on the Book of Podcast yet today, which is play-based family portrait sessions. So we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. All right. But we like to start off the Book of Podcast with what we call the aha moment. And this very simply would be maybe the most difficult lesson that you have learned as a photography business owner. What pops into your head when you think about that?
1: It's actually something that I'm processing right now. Oh, okay. And it's... The idea that you can't have it all, which hmm. I know is a really common phrase, but I'm a mother of two kids. I have a husband. How old are they? Uh, they're seven and four. Okay. So moving out of that young, really young kid stage, sure. but still fairly demanding. And I have a husband who travels for work, works a lot. Okay. And the the realization that maybe I don't need to have a business or maybe my business is extremely part-time and that I can be an artist and I can enjoy my work but I don't have to have anything really I don't have to have a large social media following I don't have to have a certain percentage of work I don't have to have a certain amount of profit Hmm. who I am and what I do can be about the way I feel about the process itself and that is something that has been really helpful for me as I release any expectations about where this is going to go and just enjoy it for what it is.
0: Interesting. So this is a conversation that I was having earlier. We were talking about Abby Keel, um, who we had on the podcast as well. And we were talking about the importance of establishing really clearly our values, yes. and letting that kind of drive what we do. So that at the end of the day, something like Instagram followers is it—it it may play some role in our business, but it doesn't carry the significance that a lot of us have a tendency, I guess, of kind of putting on it. Yes, does that does that kind of sync with what what you're talking about oh, here?
1: Absolutely. And we're at a conference right now. It's really easy to go to all the classes and write down. A list of a hundred to do items. And this time I'm not allowing myself to do any of that. I am looking for a little bits and pieces that fit into my current narrative. Yes. But I'm not trying to reshape myself. Yes. I am who I am right now and I can only change and improve so fast. It's very freeing.
0: That's lovely though. I, I like the I like the way you describe that, which is your current narrative. You're letting it fit into your current narrative and not to reiterate this too much, but it really plays on that same idea of being clear about what it is you want out of life. And then as a result, what do you want out of your business? And then with that kind of big picture view, and this is actually something that I'm going to be talking about in my presentation tomorrow here, but with that big picture view, that kind of overriding 30,000 foot view that you have of what your life's about, what your business is about, it enables you to filter out the stuff that isn't applicable. And it is so extremely freeing. So this is really, really good stuff. I love it. (laughs) I really love it. But I want to know more about you. I want to hear more about you, about your husband, your kids. You live in Seattle, which is an area that I'm really familiar with. Um, Tell us a little more about you guys.
1: Well, I'm fairly new to Seattle. And I think we've moved nine times in nine years of marriage. Some of that has been within the same area. But I started my photography business in Dallas, Texas in 2009. And was there for about two years and then moved to... Chicago for two years, and then we lived in several different parts of the Bay Area for four years, and so this is really a turning point for me. In the past, when we've moved, I've said I'm really going to get out there, pound the pavement, I'm going to build up something huge. And there's a book called "Your Inner Critic Is a Big Jerk." (laughs) I love the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I hope that's the title, but it's really emphasizes how a person can get past any feelings about who they're supposed to be and dial into what they want to be. So I started my business in, the, in all the typical ways, shooting for shooting really cheap weddings, shooting families for free, building up my skills and my portfolio. And then I transitioned to film photography in 2014 and okay. really fell in love with that. And I found that narrowing the scope of possibilities, because film can only do so much. I love it, but it has a really specific look and feel, and it's not the right fit for everyone. And that was when I started to feel like I was finally coming into my own. Because I no longer was looking out at, at everything and everyone else. I really got to laser in on what is the path that I want to follow and mm. what are the things I want to do. And this concept of play-based sessions that we're going to talk about really came out of those limitations and those restrictions. I'm really, I learned this concept from Samantha Kelly, who's actually the organizer of photo native, this idea of placing limitations on yourself so that you can explore creativity within boundaries. This year I'm actually shooting exclusively black and white film for the entire year for all my personal work. Wow. And it's, I haven't, shot that much but it's very freeing to take away should this be color which stock etc etc and when I pick up a digital camera now it feels quite overwhelming to think of what all the possibilities are. I really love working within a narrow focus.
0: That's really good actually and and as and it's funny, I actually read a book called Paradox of Choice. And, and I I've
1: read that book too. I love th- it. Oh. Bill Schwartz or Barry Schwartz, I, I think his re- name. I think that may be right. Fantastic I'm going to have to look it up book. now. We'll
0: certainly link to it in the show notes so all of our listeners can, can take a look as well. But it is a fascinating book. At the end of the day, having many options, it seems like a great idea, mm-hmm. but it can be extremely overwhelming. And it can actually keep us from being productive or even proactive. So narrowing the focus, narrowing the parameters, forces us to do something. Yes. And in this case, I love the idea that you're limiting yourself to black and white photography because now it forces you to think in a different light. That's going to translate to the other work that you do professionally, and it ultimately makes you better as a photographer. So I think that's a really great idea. I I, I want to come back to the photography piece here in just a second, though. You're talking about your husband and your kids. What is... Like, what's a day in the life look like? What do you guys like to, to, to do with your free time? I'm really curious.
1: Ooh. Well, now we like a little more hiking okay. because we moved to Seattle. Beautiful, yeah. Um, my husband is Polish. Okay. And the national sport of Poland is actually mushroom hunting, which... I, I no one seems to know about it except the <laughs> poles. Uh, but it's a really great activity if you're ever in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Because it's really just going into the forest and right. enjoying nature. Right. And then looking just look at the base of trees. And it it's delightful to walk down the same path you've you've been down many times and hone in and focus right i guess we can always bring everything back to photography yeah that, that yeah like you you give yourself a restriction i'm looking for mushrooms i'm not looking up in the sky i'm not looking at the trees i'm not looking at the bushes i'm really just looking for mushrooms right now and then you find one and it feels like it doesn't matter if it's edible it just feels like finding treasure
0: oh i bet well and that's also interesting though that perspective makes all the difference in the world oh, yes. right And if we have a particular goal in mind, it can help adjust the perspective. And we we tend to notice at least something different, if not more than we normally do. That's pretty fascinating. Um, So you you go out mushroom hunting and hiking, which is really, really great. (laughs) As a business owner, though, how do you create the time for those activities and anything else that you do with your family? How do you make time for that? Is there a particular tool or technique or approach that you have to running your business that creates that free time for you?
1: One thing that's been really instrumental, I'm not good at it. Routine and structure are not my forte. But this year I made a rule for myself that I i can't just edit any time because editing becomes this black hole for me and I will just spend hours. And then I edit the photo. I want to share it on Facebook with my friends. And then right. suddenly I'm on Facebook for three hours. So setting up structured time when I'm allowed to be working, and this kind of goes back to having it all, right? I, I only have so much time. So either before the kids get up or once I've accomplished some other tasks and while my daughter's in preschool. And then I guess if I have the energy to stay up after they're in bed, but most of the time I'm just ready to go to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the slowing down of my business goals and setting up structure has made a huge difference for me because I used to get lost in the tunnel of my business goals. Mm -hmm. And then my kids would come in and I would feel frustrated by them when they were just being their normal kid selves, having, Absolutely. just asking for a snack, Absolutely. right? Yep. And I couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. And so that's been, it's not a, any kind of productivity hack. I don't think I'm faster. It's actually more of scaling back my expectations of myself.
0: That's good. But it, it, a lot of it is just simply when it comes to running a business more efficiently. It's about setting boundaries, about setting parameters and and creating a cutoff point of some kind. And that cutoff point is going to look different for everyone, really. Um, But... I love, the, I love the self-awareness that, that you're exemplifying by saying, you know what? I realize that because of the way that I'm working, it's leading to frustration with my kids. In a situation where I certainly shouldn't be frustrated with my kids, I need to make a change. Um, Tony Robbins, I'm a huge fan of a guy named Tony Robbins. And one of the things that he talks about is how pain, really humans kind of um, live their life And ultimately make change in their life, uh, potentially, based on pleasure or pain, happiness or sadness. In this particular case, you found a pain point, which was, I don't want to interact with my kids this way. This means that I need to do something different. And I love that you very proactively put some structure in place and that enabled you to then create the boundaries that would give you the freedom to have more time with your kids. So I think that's a great, great example. It's something that's very much a consistent theme on on the podcast, but I don't think we can hear it enough. It's a good reminder for me too. And this is my podcast. So um, that's really, really great. But how did you get into photography in the first place? You started to kind of touch on that here just a little bit ago, but what got you into photography?
1: My mom... Started learning photography sometime when I was around 10, so I watched her go through the process back in the day where she would fill out a notebook, noting her settings for each and every shot, and then she would have to take it to the dark room herself, develop it, learn from that. It was a really incredible and long process for her, and so I grew up with Photoshop and just watching her, going to her shoots, critiquing her images. I don't, I don't know what my opinion was worth, but I certainly <laughs> was willing to give it. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I got married myself and became really immersed in the world of wedding photography and kind of obsessed with finding the right fit for me, that after my wedding was over, I said, I really want to buy a DSLR. I want mm. to see how this works for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was that was my start, my entry point in the way that I have a hard time with now, the sort of the free shooting, the very low cost shooting, learning as I go, <laughs> which really I wouldn't recommend. I think family pictures are really important and sure. learning on someone's family pictures is not a great way to do it. But that is certainly how I did it back then and then I had two kids in the meantime, and so it was just about figuring out ways to fit everything in in between. And film was really a turning point for me because that is when I really had to start to learn my settings and move into the more technical side in a way I hadn't before.
0: That's interesting. Okay, so you started, did you actually start your business then about, what, eight years ago, nine years ago? Or is yeah, it? yeah. Okay. So
1: yeah, somewhere around 2009, I think.
0: Okay, all right. And what would you say, are, you're currently offering, is it family photography, family portraits and, yes. and weddings as well? Or is no,
1: i just- well, you know, what? I would do anyone's elopement. I did a few San Francisco City Hall and then I did a wedding on the beach yeah. and, and I admit that was...
0: Idyllic. I, that was yeah. so,
1: I think it ruined me for good. There's, It's not a, a, a large market. And so I, but it, you know, if anyone's looking for someone, that was something I really enjoyed. I'd love to photograph someone on a clifftop uh, by the Oregon coastline. Oh my word. It sounds, yeah, that <laughs> I think sounds everybody perfect wants too. That, Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. I,
0: one of my favorite weddings I ever photographed was one that I shot in St. Lucia. And it was literally myself, another photographer, and the couple. That was yes. it. They decided to elope, and that was it. And it was absolutely amazing.
1: It's so intimate. Did you sign the... Were you their witness?
0: It, I think they actually talked about having us do that. They ended up having somebody there from the resort or uh, something okay, that, that okay. signed it. But yeah, it was that kind of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, everybody excused the, the kind of background noise. We have plenty of babies here at the conference. <laughs> but it was that kind of just incredible opportunity where you have basically two days or so of endless beautiful scenery that you can put this couple anywhere that, and they were so into each other so it just made yes. it easy to photograph oh it was it was amazing if only we got to shoot those all the time <laughs> That's right it's not how it works <laughs> no but your your specialty ultimately is, is family photography how do you set your when you're in the process of communicating what your brand represents how do you separate yourself from your so-called competition the photographers in your market
1: one really key aspect for me was shooting enough and long enough for me to start to identify themes and understand how my work looks naturally. For a long time I went into a session with specific goals that maybe weren't even a good fit for my perspective, okay. but they were based on what I had seen from other people, not direct copying necessarily, but you know, this is the stuff that I like from other people, so I'm going to try to give that to my clients. And then there, I started to notice a shift in my work where I could put my images together and they looked distinctly like my work. And instead of picking it apart, I started to appreciate that this is something only I can offer. You hear that a lot, but there is a thread and a perspective that only one person has. Mm. And I really... When someone approaches me for a session, I will almost overshow them my work. Here's a gallery from this, here's a gallery from this. Interesting. Because I know that I'm I'm giving them what Jenical does and I want them to want that. I think family sessions are so important and I have no desire to give someone a set of images that doesn't speak to them. I want it to, I want them to feel it the same way I do.
0: So what percentage then of your clients that you end up booking for these sessions do you meet with in person before you actually book them?
1: I don't, I don't do a lot of that. I'll do a phone call or emails depending on what their schedule is like beforehand and establish with them what they're looking for. We moved. And so I only had a few sessions this fall and I was able to work with former clients across the board. And it was, it was so much fun. I knew that they knew what they were getting themselves into and what to expect. And it felt so relaxed and they were calling me aunt jenna and it was fantastic <laughs> that's awesome
0: but you would say then when when you have people come to your website for example the thing that ultimately kind of sets you apart is your style that really truly is unique what you're offering them the style of family session that that they're that you're offering them is from just the aesthetic of it is significantly different than the photographers around you
1: yes and some of that is just film itself that okay. that it has a specific look and i don't try to make film look digital or look like anything other than what it is. But calling a gallery or putting a gallery together is always the hardest thing for me because Mm. there becomes this push and pull between what it kind of... You do have to pay attention to trends. You need to pay attention to what's out there because the general public is going to look for... My friend had this and I also would like this for my family. So you need to be keeping that in mind. Is this going to... Communicate something to the people who are viewing, but then there is also an element of the artistic gut, where yeah. where you're saying, and once you shoot enough, you can put up an entire gallery of images that speak to you, and and kind of just say, come and get it if you want it, but if you if this is not what you're looking for, then I don't want to spend my time sure. on it either. At, at this point, I'm starting to feel like there are so many different ways to live a creative, fulfilled life. And there's so many different income streams that you can introduce into your life that I used to think that I needed to build up a photography business and it would be my one thing and that's what I would do. But I'm moving more toward, what if I carved out a little niche and then I just did that niche? And sometimes I would have... 10 families in the fall and sometimes I might have 40 throughout the year. Okay. And that's okay. That I don't have to grow it into some huge thing. It is just jenna's play-based family session niche that i love to do and every single one fills me with joy which at this point that's what i want
0: that's perfect i love it and i love that you that you seem truly fulfilled in that we're going to get into we're going to dive into that in detail in just a little bit the whole process of it because i i want our listeners to hear more about it but just a side note this is a fun one for me but what is your favorite piece of gear in your camera bag
1: oh i love this question too what do i get most excited about
0: is there a particular lens or camera body or just some accessory? Or
1: I actually shoot. I have it in my bag right here. Um, I shoot on my mom's Canon AE1 that she learned on. Oh,
0: you have to pull it out. We <laughs> got We got to see this thing. This is, and I, I will try to. I'll do my best to describe this to everybody listening in. So, uh, how old is the camera?
1: Well, I have no idea what the original. I mean, I would imagine this is maybe from the eighties. It's not one of the yeah. the older bodies I own. And of course, you guys can Google
0: this and and look it up. Um, It's a Canon AE-1 and shoots 35 millimeter film. Old school with the the dial on top to set the shutter speed. I love that. And of course, you're going to... It's
1: entirely manual. Definitely had to train myself to move and focus and think fast with kids.
0: And manually wind that film. Yes, but
1: oh, (laughs) I love the way it feels. And it definitely has... I'll shoot usually just black and white and it has a very gritty documentary and photojournalist yeah. feel to it. What and kind
0: that, of film are you shooting yeah. in it?
1: Um, well, right now, do you, you want to know what's in there? Yeah. It's actually T-Max P3200, yes. I think it's called. Uh-huh. It's an old expired stock. And I went, uh, Tanya Lippert out of the Bay Area did yeah. a warehouse sale. Uh-huh. And she had a big box of film, that just like random expired yeah. stuff. Yeah. Most of it, I don't really love, as is the case with the expired film. But these, there were like maybe eight rolls of it in there. And they are... Treasure, it I is love it. Yes. the grittiest, grainiest. Yep. Uh, I
0: used to shoot with it. It's it's, it's a so great film. To, do you
1: have any? Can I buy it? I don't you? right now. You don't unfortunately, have any in your
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> all I have actually right now, film wise, is it's all medium format. Believe it or not.
1: Uh huh. I've got
0: a six by six that I love shooting with. Oh my and,
1: goodness! Yeah, I have a Roly too, and I totally understand the appeal of dragging it all across the oh, world. Oh, it's now.
0: awesome! <laughs> it's so good! It's so good. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about these play based sessions because I want to understand. Better, what this actually means. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you got into them in the first place? Like, what drew you to this idea, specifically of a play based session versus a studio session or anything else?
1: Yes. So, as lifestyle and in home sessions started to become popular, I really, I knew I really liked that style of photography, I liked the relaxed feeling. But I came into every session feeling pretty overwhelmed by my nerves. And coming back to this idea of narrowing the scope, there were just too many possibilities. I didn't know what to ask them to do hmm. or or my brain felt very overloaded. I get really shaky and so excited yeah. and I talk really fast I, <laughs> and I need... Ugh. Fifteen to thirty minutes to calm down. I'm not a mini shoot person because <laughs> okay. then the first mini shoot person gets gets my warm up work, and then the last one. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to start working within a, a model that would help me know where I was going. What's the first thing I'm going to do? What's the next thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I also. I wanted to find a way to get photos that were something other than people clumped up and laughing, right? Yes. Because it, it's so easy to bring the family together and there's all these fun tricks and games. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can have them give wet willies in each other's <laughs> ears and, and whisper secrets and yeah, yeah, like yeah. all those tips, right? But, right? but I was getting back images that looked like that over and over and yes. over again. right. It it just was a a lot of the same thing over and over. And I didn't really feel like they were actually having fun. They were... I I think it was fine, right? But I wanted to figure out a way. We did a family session where my husband turned to me when it was over and said, that was so much fun. I'm really looking forward to doing it again next year. Really? Yeah. Um, That was actually with Samantha Kelly. And it was... Because she had such kind of control over the situation that he wasn't standing around thinking, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Interesting, okay. That she was giving little directions and things and keeping us engaged. And and that is
0: such, I'm glad you bring that point up because when when I think about, and I've mentioned this before, I think in the podcast, but one of the things that I've seen when I go to workshops, um, photography workshops, or been in the past, um, you'll see photographers Shooting the model, and you have a group of like 10, 12, 15 photographers. Sh- photographing this model that's standing there posing for them and literally not a word is being said to the model to guide them direct them anything yes and sadly that's job
1: if they're a professional model then they're used to that right but families no way
0: there's we don't have we don't have an option but to communicate and to communicate very proactively and consistently not only is it going to help create a better image um, as long as you're telling them the right things to do but then also it kind of minimizes the uncomfort because most people aren't used to being in front of the camera and if you have silence and just a couple, you know, an occasional click and they see you looking at the back of your camera without commenting or encouraging them <laughs> or anything, that's going to make for a really awkward situation. So that's interesting that you bring that up.
1: Yeah. And I also, I wanted to move away from, I still give people portraits, but I really wanted my sessions to be about getting everyone relaxed and and getting them engaging in each other in ways that are actually a little bit closer to the ways we engage with each other in real life right we don't often we
0: don't all sit in groups and laugh all the time (laughs) yeah no
1: we really don't and and there are some like quiet cuddling moments and this kind of stuff and and of course when I get my own photos taken I get those images back of me with my kids my heart melts so I think all those things are important but I needed a a jumping off point and and a structure to work within
0: so with this in mind, then what does the session process look like? Yeah. Um, what, I mean, just from start to, to finish, even the booking process, maybe, I don't know if that's particularly unique, but can you just kind of walk us through the whole process of booking and then shooting one of these play sessions?
1: Yes. So it actually starts as soon as the person books, the because it's, it's session specific, although as with most things, once you have an arsenal of ideas, you can start to draw on it. But the first thing I'll do is, if I don't know the family, I'll not only ask for names and ages, I'll ask for a picture of them so I can see who's in the family, what are their ages, how how tall are they, these kinds of things. Because the the key to this is that I started sort of meditating on each individual family before I would do my sessions and start to come up with ways that they could use their bodies and interact with each other that work with the makeup of the family. So I'll give you an, uh, a good, yeah, I'm so curious <laughs> now break this. this down for us. I'll give you two examples, okay. one with younger children and one with older, sure. a little bit older children, because this is also, I think, the young kids are fast, but they are so easy to photograph because they just like run around and play and have fun. But then as you start to move into the older ages, you need to win over the kids and et cetera, et cetera. So I did a, an example of, of the play part of a session I did with a family where the boy was maybe somewhere between two or three. There was just one kid. And then the parents so we'll come into it, and I try to get the, the I call it the, the grandma photo, the photo your grandma wants where we can actually see your face and hopefully everybody's smiling. My goal is to kind of get that out of the way in the beginning. Okay. Once they're a little bit relaxed and I'm relaxed... The light, and and I'll usually kind of wait. You guys, the light is so good because I can use that excitement to help them feel like, oh, she knows what she's doing. It's so
0: important. Yeah. Yeah, So good.
1: I can't do it first. I know some people who do it first, and I'm too nervous and they're too stiff. And they're probably too nervous too. Okay. Once we start to ease into things, then. An example of a game for this two to three-year-old age is called Shark Attack. And part of the key is the branding itself for the kids especially. As I refine the process right, I'll start to have all kinds of names for things. So the Shark Attack was simply that I told the little boy that he got to pretend to be a shark and... That his parents had no idea what was coming and they're going to sit on the ground and first I get to get them alone together cuddling up and looking back and laughing as they kind of know what's going on and and the attention isn't it's on them but it's not really on them so they're acting a little bit differently. And then I'm holding him back and building up this whole story for him. And then I I tell him that there's a code word and only we know it. So he's going to stand back. And then he, this was a difficult kid too. He just wanted to run away. So these games become really key because I'm investing him in the storyline. And then the story becomes a part of the session itself, right? And so I say whatever the code word was and he runs forward. And I tell him specifically that sharks attack by kissing their parents' ears, right? So you're thinking, you're not only giving them a game, I learned pretty quickly that you have to give them really specific ex- instructions within the game. Because okay. otherwise they'll like make claw hands or do unattractive <laughs> things that nobody <laughs> right. wants to photograph. are like,
0: what in the world was she telling yeah. them to do? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but, but with something like this, he loved it. He's la- and the parents are laughing because he's everything is genuine and real. And they got to focus on on the task that I've given them that's something other than posing, which for the majority of people is kind of uncomfortable to do. Sure. So that's a young kid game. My my very favorite that I'm you know, I'll give it away, but it's been my favorite and (sighs) it works so consistently for almost all families is called the sushi roll. Okay. So I think I can describe this in a way. You have everybody I like sushi, so that's a good start. Me too, that's probably where (laughs) I came from. Uh you can start to just look around at your daily life and name things after your favorite things. So you have everybody, they're facing the same direction and they're standing in a row. Okay. Um, and then and they're you're usually
0: doing this like in the living room.
1: You know what? I am learning. I guess that would be another aspect. I actually, these work so well in those big open spaces that are really scary otherwise. Right. Because you have a lot of room to work with. Yeah. You can, and this would be difficult for me as a film shooter unless it was a very bright room, right? Because you normally have to use slower shutter speeds sure. inside. But this works really well outside. Have I done it inside yet? I don't. That would be a good challenge. I'll work on it. And maybe actually, it might work horizontally instead of vertically. I've never thought of it.
0: There I'm you give go. This a try. Okay. The wonderful things that come from the book of podcast. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so
1: if everybody's standing in a horizontal line, they're all facing the same direction. Yeah, okay. And they all grab hands. Yep. Then you tell the. It's usually dad. Um, but whoever's largest in the situation, you tell them to tuck the hand they're not holding against their body. Okay. And then they, the line rolls up like a roll of sushi. You get this wonderful mix of arms all over the place. And everybody's hugging. And the middle person, they lost their arms. So they're grabbing like this because yeah. they want to get it. And it has been magical. Every time, I, that's really? my favorite one. I love it, but it's messy. These are only. I was going to say so, so. yeah, things. the
0: pictures like that would they would they end up in just this kind of big pile that they're and they're laughing and kind I mean of confused and hopefully and, I'm
1: working fast enough that I get one that's a little bit farther away yeah. and then I can run forward and they're you know I didn't ever find a lot of luck in getting normal folk to execute my commands in a natural looking way. It always looked a little bit like they were trying too hard and I needed an another layer in between so that they forgot what we were doing so that they get lost in just having a really great time with their family.
0: And how many different scenarios like that or games have you come up with at this point?
1: Um, it's and, my and, is,
0: and is it really specific to each family that you work with? Do you make up a new one each time, or how does that work?
1: I have, I well, it's like anything, it's sort of A B testing, right? Okay. I have some ideas for really, for families with really young kids and then the, the medium age. And then I'm still, we're teenagers, I think, everybody think they're really hard to work with. So, what are some things that I could get them? As they start to get older, you start to think about things in terms of physical challenges that mm. they can execute that will photograph beautifully as right. well right, right. and yeah. and ways that they can sort of interact with their body i'm i'm going to take some pictures of my friend and her family she's a single mom with three kids the youngest is like 4 or 5 and i have an idea for the oldest to do a backbend and then challenge the two youngest to not only sort of like lay underneath her as she's doing the backbend but challenge them like can you guys change positions without knocking your sister down so I get to sort of like use the curve I might not even include her in the frame but the two middle ones instead of it being about like I need you to stay still so I can take your picture they now are having a blast executing the command I've given them Um, and hopefully Hopefully, the whole thing collapses into a giant pile. Yes. And then I have, like, sister rolling around on the ground with her brothers when she might say no if I ask her to do it directly. Interesting.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: And so, and there's, it doesn't have to be quite such big movements as well. There's little things, too, like, I want you to bring your noses as close together as you can without touching, and whoever touches loses. So, then they're really close, and they're very focused, and they're laughing because it's funny. Right. So, any, I mean... Part of it is how many different ways can I manipulate their bodies in an aesthetically pleasing way? That's part of it too. Sure. But then it also generates
0: emotion ultimately. Yes,
1: yes. And a lot of it is, is, Jan Palmer uses the phrase the fall apart. And, and that a lot of it is that you're not looking for the perfection. You're looking for the thing right before it all gets really bad. So so you're looking for that moment when no one's really paying attention to the photos anymore. And they're being their, their most real version of themselves. And then, you know, I really find, I mean... As you can imagine, kids love this because they're actually having a nice time. Their parents aren't bribing them. Like my parents don't have to bribe their kids because I'm essentially Mary Poppins. I'm like, let's have a lot of fun and play games together. I love it. A quick tip that I used this fall that worked really well. It was it, it was an in home session, and I actually told the parents to just like let me play with the kids for a little bit and play some games with them and see what we can do. And then once I brought the parents in, the kids were super relaxed, and then the parents just got to have a nice, have a great time with their kids. That's, that's what I want. I want everybody. I care about the photos, but I care about the process just as much. How does this feel for all of us?
0: I love that. And and you, would you say that that's the, really the biggest, Advantage to this approach with family photography is that you're creating a much more enjoyable process for and those memories. Involved. the okay. The session
1: itself becomes a memory and a and a way to engage. And it wasn't
0: th- like mom or dad were pissed off at me because I wasn't sitting up straight yes. and stiff. And yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, I
1: guess like the kids all enjoy the ice cream they get at the end of the session. But how many, you know? Imagine what it would be like for teenagers or or maybe preteens that that if their mom said, we're going to get family photos done. And instead of rolling their eyes and thinking about being forced to pretend to be someone they're not, they got to like go do an obstacle course.
0: (laughs) It's good. You know, and and this is something I've begun to talk a little bit more about um, on the podcast, but it really is so absolutely vital for the professional photography industry as a whole, really to realize the significance of creating a unique experience like this because there are plenty of people with relatively inexpensive cameras now that can take a decent picture we have to set our egos aside acknowledge that like truly acknowledge that fact and realize that in order to set ourselves apart and in order to continue to develop a business, build a business that's ultimately sustainable through the continued improvements in technology, we're going to have to create an experience that they can't get by asking their friend next door to photograph them. Yeah. And so I love the fact that you've been so proactive in creating a unique experience for your clients. That says volumes, not only for you as an individual, but as a a business owner and as a photographer. I think this is a wonderful example. And I want to make sure too that that our listeners get a chance to see uh, some of your work. So oh. where, can they, where can they find you <laughs> no. online? Share, share those places with it's, us.
1: It's the beginning of the year. My, my overhaul of my website should have happened. and <laughs> not, Maybe this will be the impetus to get me there. Perfect. So you can find my work at www.jennacole.com. Okay. Um, that's J-E-N-N-A-C-O-L-E.com. Perfect. And I'm on Instagram at Jenna Cole Photo. And I'm on Facebook at Jenna Cole Photography. Doesn't really get updated very often, but love to have you stop by if you want to.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Maybe this will be impetus for you to continue to develop or update your your Facebook page as well. (laughs) This has been really good. I, I really appreciate you making time for us. And ultimately the inspiration that is actually hearing something that a photographer is doing that is different from the norm. And again, kudos to you for being proactive and creating that unique experience for your clients. But truly, thank you for making time to share this with our listeners.
1: Thank you. This was really great.
0: You were awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit PhotographersEdit.com.